from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Sports State of Combat podcast with your boy, the Brian Campbell, Mixed Martial Arts Edition, ready to get you fired the heck up. I back. Trust me. I back. Thank you, Andy. All right. It's your boy, BC. It is, of course, uh, Wilder Fury 2 Fight Week, but that's in the box game. Reminder, of course, though, as you know, that's the State of Combat has you covered. Preview, instant analysis, interview edition from Media Day this week. Interviews with Wilder and Fury. You don't want to miss that. This is the MMA show. We got a lot to recap. A wild weekend coming off of UFC Rio Rancho. Does John Jones have a new leading man for his next title defense? It'll be good to get in on that discussion. Also, a look ahead. Bellator's got two shows coming at you and a must-see lightweight clash this weekend from Auckland. Yes, as Paul Felder and Dan Hooker mix it up. Who's going to be with me to chop this all up? You know him. He's an earthquake survivor, a UFC Hall of Famer, a former light heavyweight champion of the world. That's me bringing that heat. That's me bringing that heat. That is him bringing that heat. It's Sugar Rashad Evans, my man. How is it? My man, BC. It's good to be back in studio, man. Back from L.A. Back from L.A. Back with a bang. Back from that Joe Rogan podcast experience. People still buzzing about this, Rashad. Yeah, it was, it was a good experience, man. You know, I still... uh I'm still I'm still uh, still answering a lot of you know questions and stuff like that, but uh, a great response in general. Fantastic, indeed. Uh, Rashad, one to ten, okay. One being flaccidity, ten being what are we going on a camping trip? Because there's a tent below the desk. Your excitement level for Wilder Fury two? It, it's uh, we're going camping. It's a pretty big tent I'm pitching. Uh, I love this fight, man. You know Fury. He brings something to the heavyweight uh, class that's missing with with his his slick boxing style, you know. And he's just a fun, colorful person. But then you have that devastating power and power that like I've never seen in the fight game with Deontay Wilder. You know what he doesn't have in technicality, he makes four with in in that power, and um, it just makes the fight so interesting because you know, technically speaking, Fury's probably going to jump out the edge early, but at any given time, it can go to Wilder with that what, one punch knockout power. That one hitter quitter, Rashad. I mean, there's been some guys. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about Francis Ngannou. You're talking about guys that can turn your lights off. You know, in one second. I don't know if we've really ever seen somebody exactly like Deontay Wilder. Certainly not in the heavyweight boxing game. Nah, I mean, just that punch that he hit Ortiz with the last time. It was almost like a shotgun went off. You know, it was just so explosive. 
it was offensive. I was offended by it. <laughs> <laughs> Shotgun bang. What's up with that thing? I want to know. How does it hang? All right, Rashad, let's get right into it. We had a loaded weekend. I mentioned that UFC Rio Rancho show down there in your former stomping grounds of Albuquerque. Uh, got a lot to talk about. Let's go five rounds with Rashad and let's start off right here. Jan Blahowicz needed less than one round to send the red hot Corey Anderson to the deep, dark depths with a right cross impacting the light heavyweight title situation. Is John going to stay? Is Reyes deserve an immediate rematch? I'm going to pin it right on to you. Does Jan Blahowicz having won, I believe, five of his last six with this kind of knockout against Corey Anderson? Does this secure next in line for Bones at 205? I will say no, and I say that because of this. Like, before that, and, you know, it all depends on how the fight ends, right? But uh, Corey was touching him up. Corey was touching Blahovitz up pretty well, and he, he was pretty, you know, it looked like he was running away with it early out, just seemed to be a step ahead of Blahovitz, and it just had that, that, um, that critical era in, in combination and, and got himself caught. But here's the thing about it. I, I, I think, I think Jan, Jan's power is, 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 is ridiculous. And I think that he's definitely, you know, proven himself and gotten better, you know, these last couple of fights and, you know, going back to his trainer kind of reignited, uh, some things in, in him that, that we haven't seen. So it's inside, it's exciting to see where he can go. But here's the thing. I think that he's at least one, one fight away from being that title contender for his sake, for his sake, because I think he'd be a better challenger to get another fight under his belt. And, and, and here's another thing. I would hate to see uh, Dominic Reyes and John Jones get passed off and get put in that area where we've seen happen with the John Jones and the, um, the Gustafson fight, you know, where it fell too, you know, when they rematched, it was just too late. And Gustafson already had so many injuries till then. And he wasn't the same fighter when they fought the second time. So, Let's get it while the iron's hot. Let's let's see what's let's see what's going on with you know Dominic Reyes and John Jones. I mean, if you're going to argue against Jan Blahowitz's chances, and by the way, could you ask for anything more? That type of demonstrative finish, walking over to the side of the cage, calling out John. Like for him, that performance was perfect coming off the 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 somewhat boring affair against Jacare. But I guess if you're going to argue against him and be hypercritical. This win streak has largely been against blown up middleweights. And you know what I mean? I mean, Corey Anderson was red hot. He did what he had to do. But I'm just more confused about what John's next step actually will be, Rashad. And I think that obviously answers this question of, of who gets the next title shot best. Because if you told me you could see the future and Israel Adesanya is going to roll through Yoel Romero somehow and him and John are going to do business at Raider Stadium this fall, I could believe you. If you tell me John's going up to heavyweight in six months, I could believe you. If you tell me Jan Blahowitz and Dom Reyes meet for an interim title because Dana seems to like doing it that way for no reason, I could believe you. I don't really know, but to see John Jones that excited, though, and I went back and watched that interview he did with Laura Senko right afterwards where he's like, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's do it right now. I, I, but you, I, I, you know, I hate to cut you off, but you know why he did that, though? He He did that because, like, what he wants to do is he wants to take the power away from Dom Reyes and that performance that he had. So the best way to do that is to just simply take the position away. Oh, I'm going to go with somebody else. I'd rather have somebody else fight somebody else. Even though we all know, even though it was a great performance by Jan, it, it was not what we've seen in Dom Reyes and John Jones. And John knows that. 
So I have the to fact believe that he's even saying that the yeah. fact that he's saying that it leads me to believe that he may not want a piece of Dom Reyes right now. Interesting. I, I certainly believe, look, there's no disrespect to Jan Blahowitz, who at 36 has figured out how to get the very best out of himself, how to become dangerous, how to, I mean, look, he, you know, he talked about setting up that right hand to counter when he thought Corey Anderson was going to shoot, try to fix the mistakes of what happened in that fight with Jacare and why it was, you know, somewhat even and boring. But I think John looks at that as a matchup that he wins fairly easily. So maybe it's part of uh, my stiff arming Dom Reyes for business reasons. Or do I not want that smoke again? I don't know. I saw the what the UFC put out, Rashad, on Fight Pass, sort of like the the they had the microphones in the cage afterwards, and you could hear what John and Dom were saying when they embraced. And I don't know if you saw that, but John was like all about a rematch. He's like, yeah, the rematch is going to be fun. You did great. Blah, blah, blah. Like it was like best buds. I know that's sort of that post-coital moment there, Rashad, but I, uh, I still think there's that chance he just goes up to heaven. He's like, you know, I forget this young kid. Yeah, there's possibly that possibly might be it because the truth of the matter is the fact that he has much more to lose by fighting Dominic Reyes again than he does have to gain by fighting Dominic Reyes again. I mean, you know, John Jones has etched his name in in, in the memories and and, and just uh, you know his name and just whatever it means to be the best in the game in fighting. So he's he's already proven himself in so many different areas to fight. Dom is not really the thing that I mean. He can say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, way ahead of George, or you know, making it so much higher." But I think a fight with Dom is a dangerous fight for him right now because this kid knows he can beat him. Like he knows he can beat John. He he felt it. He felt it, and that's a dangerous opponent for John Jones right now. Very dangerous. What do you think about this scenario? It's it's one in which everyone can win. I be, the like as much as I say, look, you know, John, go to heavyweight now. I believe there's part of him that no, like he's one win away from from tying Demetrius Johnson for the title defense record, and John would have had that record right if he didn't get stripped of the title so many times. What if he fights sort of a quickie against Jan Blahowitz, ties the record, and then we get a late fall rematch with Dom Reyes, one that you can build up to, one that you can really start churning the engines. You have all that time to let Dom kind of you know do the interview circuit, talk some trash, get going. And then that fight can be labeled as John Jones's send off from light heavyweight. And if he can beat Dom, you know, defiantly, then it's another another mark. You know, it almost it almost would take away the controversy of that first fight. He could then go up to heavyweight and then provided it wasn't a damaging loss, you could still have Dom, you know, be right in that title picture for whoever's coming next for the vacant title. Now, some things would have to happen there, Rashad, like the Adesanya thing would have to not be a reality. And also Dom would have to be willing to, to sort of wait it out. Is that is that likely? Is that possible? I mean, it, it can be possible, but there's a lot of moving pieces to that puzzle you just created. You know, so many moving pieces, and I think that you know when when it comes down to it, um, you know, the simplest is best. You know, when it comes down to it, I believe that DC will rematch Stipe, and that fight's going to happen. And I think that um, anybody on the outside of that waiting to get a chance at Stipe. Uh, I think they're going to have to wait for that DC, DC fight because of the fact that the UFC knows that is the matchup. That is their that is their blockbuster at heavyweight, and they have to cash in that ticket. Yeah, I'm hoping before, we get that at, at uh, International Fight Week, Rashad. It's going to be interesting. We, we you know we think we're getting Jorge and Kamaru, which is an insanely great fight. Imagine if you package that with either DC Stipe, 
Or how about John Dom too? Maybe I mean, look, look. That's, I, it, it, there's so many options. That's what I'm saying. Like, and that, and that's another thing. Like, we we haven't seen this much excitement in the light heavyweight division in a long time. So to have Dom and 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 John Jones run it back would put John, you know, put put him back in that position to to be like, yeah, I can still bring the numbers, you know, bring the pay per view because he hasn't been a strong pay per view guy. And I think that having these matchups like Adam Reyes can put him can put him up there. Yeah, you know, now he's being challenged. You know, now he's you know it, it brings that interest back into the light heavyweight division again. And that's good for John Jones. But you know, at the end of the day, like I said to start, shout out to Jan Blahowicz. He did what he had to do. It's going to be up to the matchmakers from here. Round two here, Rashad. Uh, let's be let's be direct here. Uh, the the great veteran Diego Sanchez, a legal knee from Michelle Padeda. They asked Diego with the cut on his forehead, can he continue? He sort of tries to negotiate with referee Jason Herzog, asking if he would be the winner if he couldn't continue. And then in the end, he decides he can't. He gets a DQ win that has really created a backlash on social media. Now you have uh, Diego and his team going public and saying that uh, the media is slandering him. Um, (laughs) What's the best way to ask this? Hey Rashad, did Diego Sanchez knowingly quit? Oh man, um, I mean, of course he knowingly quit. He had to. Yeah, he, he knowingly quit. But do I think it was a good idea that he quit? Um, personally, I don't think I would have quit. But I can see why he did quit, being the fact that you know, uh, you know, he he was he was rocked or whatever the case may be, and and, and he didn't know. I mean. That guy, that guy was bringing a lot of heat, and that guy's a very dangerous guy that that can do some crazy things in there, unpredictable things. And if you're already rock silly from something illegal, then it doesn't make any sense to put yourself in that position to get finished in some kind of crazy way. I do understand that, but there's a simple there there is a fact of, you know, you almost have to go out on your shield sometimes. And I think that when you are, you know, I, I don't think there's 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 shame in that for Diego in the stage that he is right now. If he would, if he would have went out on a shield, you know, um, it, it was a weird fight in general. And I think that the fact that Diego was moving the way that he was doing, it kind of out weirded Pereira. Pereira didn't really know what to do because normally he's the weird guy to get everybody watching what he's doing, and it freezes his opponents and it makes them like kind of, you know, stationary in their game where they don't know what to do next because he's so weird. But then Diego did that to him. It kind of made a very interesting, uh, interesting fight happen. Um, but when I analyze that fight, I just see that, you know, all, of all the weirdness, it just didn't seem like Diego had a way to get the fight to anywhere near where he could have had any success. It almost seemed as if like Diego forgot about where his bread was buttered and completely, you know, didn't do anything to get the fight on the ground where he may have had some kind of leveling out. So um, that was a, that was a bad position. That was a bad fight. He quit. You nailed it. He quit a hundred percent. He certainly passed the need for us as either X fighter or journalist or fan to, to say it in a negative light to the, look, he's got so much money in the bank from the, of, of toughness, right? Like he's got so many toughness points. He doesn't have to prove anything to us. 
and I get you could argue it's a wily veteran move, right? A fight you were going to lose. And here's a guy who, you know, when you're that age and you've got that mileage, you lose too many in a row. You know, they start to to want to get rid of you. So you sort of can fight back in that regard. It's just so out of character from him, Rashad. And when you look at how weird he's been acting lately, and I know he's he's always been weird. That's part of the Diego Sanchez calling card, right? He'll scream the word yes 5,000 times and run to the cage. But the the change in trainers of late to this uh, this new sorcerer he's got going with him, and just a weird fight out of him to lead with the rolling thunder and, and, the, and to just, like you said, abandon his wrestling, and it was largely one-sided. And had he been finished and stopped in a clean way, you certainly could go, okay, how much more at, you know, 38? What, what else do we have to learn here? Like, unless you want to send him off with one more fun fight against an old name, I feel like he's had a couple of those already. Like, I feel like we're past that now. What are we doing with this guy? Um, if you're telling me, should I, should I applaud him uh, for, for taking a win and taking the opportunity? No, because I think the rules suck. I get why they're there, Rashad. The reason why you can get a win by DQ in this spot is to eliminate anyone who's losing to com- purposely commit a foul so that they don't take a loss, right? Like, my knee-jerk reaction is to say, nobody should win in this. This should be a no contest. It can't be that way because then you could cheat to preserve your win-loss record, and this ain't pro wrestling. You can't uh, grab the referee and pull him into you, you know, to keep your title. But I don't think at the same time, Rashad, you should get a win. Remember when Anthony Smith fought John Jones? And he could have. He could have done the Diego Sanchez. He would have been your light heavyweight champion. He would have guaranteed himself a big money rematch. He would have gone down in the history books, and it would have been cheap as ish. And I'm here to tell you that Anthony Smith was a real man because he didn't do that. Um, these this fight did not have those stakes by any means, but I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say it's it's easily digestible that Diego Sanchez won that fight. He did nothing to win that fight, and on top of it, it looked like he could continue, and the Diego of any other day of the week would have continued. So I got a lot of bad feelings about this, Rashad. Is there any middle ground on the rules, or or does it have? Do you feel like it has to be that way? I I, I feel exactly where you're coming from. I think that. Um... What, the, what I immediately felt was he gets the win and then now he doesn't like now he may not get the lesson that he may have needed to get out of this whole thing and be like, you know what, maybe I should either change up my training altogether or just maybe stop doing this yeah, or, or severely downgrade your competition level. Seriously. Or, like- or, 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 or downgrade the competition. Like the competition has gotten gotten too great. And, and when you look at that fight, you know, Pereira was so much bigger than Diego, and Diego, um, you know, he just he just didn't look like he he just, he belonged to be in there. And I hate to say that because I'm such a huge Diego supporter, but if I'm just being 100% honest, it didn't look like he, you know, should have been in there with that guy. And it was um, he he was lucky he didn't get seriously hurt, to be honest, just because of the way that that guy super so explosive. And the way that Diego was was defending himself, it didn't even look like it looked it looked as almost as if like um, he forgot some of the core principles that that, you know, as a mixed martial artist, you know, and he almost looked as if like he started to dive a little bit in in the mysticism when it comes to self-defense, you know, the whole uh, the chi blocking and all that stuff. And and, and, I, and I can't I don't want to say because I don't know what he was trying to do. So I don't want to badmouth it and say, you know, it was all trash. But when it comes to MMA, that was not the move at all. No. Any- 
and Rashad, it's not as if it's ever an easy conversation when there's somebody so beloved who has been through so many trials and entertained us and probably in the long run, you know, never made the money that would ever equal the value of what they had left in that cage. Chuck Liddell's exit was 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 almost not fair to him, even though it made a ton of sense when, D- when Dana was like, look, you can't do it anymore. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. But I feel like the, this is where UFC needs to learn from the recent uh, BJ Penn episodes, and I and I believe he was just arrested again for for what DUI or something. And we've seen him getting all these fights, you know, in parking lots, and he had that really bad losing streak to end his career. And it's like there's different ways to lose fights, but when you're consistently losing by knockout in a row, and you're not competitive at that level, and you've achieved so much in your career. I think this is where the promoter has to step in. Like, I'll say it again. Unless you're giving me Diego Sanchez, Clay Guida or something to, to, to be a retirement match for both and we'll just celebrate and love them on the way out, I do not need to see him fight again. There's nothing more to gain. I'd almost wish UFC had some type of lump sum, a golden handshake. You can say, we're going to pay you not to fight because we love you so much. I know. It's, always, it's kind of a weird thing, though, to me, like, how is it that some guys get to fight when they know they shouldn't be in there, but other guys don't? You know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, like Chuck Liddell, oh, you got to retire him. Well, why retire him, but then you let BJ Penn keep fighting, and then you let Diego keep fighting? You know? and, and, I, and, I, and I say that to not be disrespectful to those fighters, but at the end of the day, like, you know, if, you, if you're saying that Chuck can't fight because the competition is past him, then you have to say the same thing about the other fighters that you allow fighting that you, that you can see the competitions past them as well. And, it's, and, and to double down on how it's never an easy conversation, Rashad, Diego Sanchez's problem of late is that he's been able to pull out these wins, right? Like against a Mickey Gall where you're like, oh, wait, you know, maybe he still got it. And it's sometimes that can be the worst uh, prize for a win. Well, I- or a surprise performance is then you get matched a little harder. And like his prize for this win is probably just going to be another tough matchup, right? Right. Well, I think I think that he can compete with guys like that, like guys who, you know, like the Mickey Galls and the guys who are still trying to find their fighting style, find their fighting identity still in that in that, you know, just past green, you know, uh, trying to figure their stuff out in the UFC. I think he, he, he'll be a good fight for those type of fights, but fighting against a guy like Pereira, who who's just. And here, and here's a guy in Pereira who who could be a lot better than than what he is. Even you know, even if like if he just kind of put a little bit more traditional stuff in with his craziness, then he would be a guy to watch in the UFC. You know, but he's under underperforming in himself. So, um, you know, I think keeping Diego or somebody that, in that position like Diego in with fights like guys like Mickey Gall's and fights that he you know has a better chance at. Yeah, then then keep him around or whatever you want to do with him. But putting him in guys like Pereira is bad news. And I hate to say this about Diego, and this is coming from me, but again, when you hear those interviews and it, and it gets crazy, he gets gets wild and weird, and it's fun for a while. Him talking about the sun, moon, stars, and rain, and how you know, like I get that, like it's fun, and I'm not saying that he doesn't believe that, but at some point, there's some trouble. There's there's trouble there when when you mix it with 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 damage and trauma over time. Um, it's better left just unsaid, and, and and it's you know it's on the promoter, but hopefully they make the right choice. Just to close quick on Pereira, that's too. I want to say bad losses in a row, Rashad. Two fights he should have won. We saw him commit again to the pre-fight dance routine on the way in. Um, look, you can have all the fun you want, but shout out to that crowd for booing the crap out of him. I get that he's going in there against the hometown son and Diego Sanchez, but 
I'm getting a little tired of that too. I was a little tired of it after he gassed out and cost himself in the last fight. He's got to put it back on the tracks or he's like, I mean, our boy Brandon Wise called him sort of, you know, UFC's answer to Bellator's MVP, but MVP still goes out there and tries to win. I'm never sure that Michelle Pineda's trying to win. I feel like he's just trying to have fun. Yeah, I see that too. You know, he's tremendously talented and some of the things that he does is just mind-blowing like the flips and stuff he does before the fight all that explosiveness even though he he's he can do it that costs you in the fight because that explosiveness that it costs you to do that flip up from your feet or from your back or inside the cage before the fight you're going to have to call on that explosiveness when it comes to probably the third round that guy's wearing on you you're going to wish that you had a little bit of explosive that you just wasted in the cage and i don't care how good of you and uh, good of in shape you are at some point all of that movement it does catch it up to you especially when you're not economic at all he just needs to go and figure out what is his objective okay you know, and yeah i'm out there to try to entertain yeah that makes me get into my groove and i feel like i'm grooving and fighting may not feel like fighting for him so he may he may not be one of those guys who who can be oh i'm gonna get mad and kick this guy's ass and you know put a bunch of hateful music on and go out there and do it. He may be a guy who go out there and just, you know, listen to some mariachi music or whatever he listens to and, and just have fun and dance. And that's okay, but you still have to go out there and win. And he still hasn't figured that part out yet. You hope he can because you start, you know, you start putting three, four losses together and it doesn't matter how fun you think you are. Uh, you're going to end up somewhere else. Uh, Rashad, round three here in the news, one championship. This I sort of stumbled into this story late. They're February 28th. One King of the Jungle card in Singapore because of the coronavirus, which is, uh, you know, a major problem in Southeast Asia there, is going to go in front of an empty arena in order to maintain the sanctity of health. Yet the card, of course, will still be broadcast to more than 150 countries. Rashad, if a MMA card that you probably weren't going to watch to begin with goes on in an arena and no one's watching, did it actually happen? <laughs> I mean, well, if no one's observing it, then I guess it never happens because the only things happen unless it's being observed by the observer, right? I so. mean, what, like, <laughs> what? How do we deal with this news? Like, like, is this okay? Is it responsible to not let the fans in so the virus doesn't spread? And look, this is not a joke. I mean, coronavirus is a, is an outbreak that is that is uh, leading to death here. But uh, then why still do the event? I don't. I don't understand it. I don't get I it. The location, you know. And but here's the thing, like I, I've been, I've been hearing like a lot of these shows, you know, they they don't really pack the arenas like how you think they do. They just do it for TV. Like they have just like enough where it looks like there's a lot of people there, but it's just enough for TV, and it's kind of like a smaller smaller arena. And then they just do the lights, cameras, action, and you think that you're watching in front of you know thousands and thousands of people, but really it's just only hundreds. Chatri, the, uh, the, of course, the CEO, Sidyat Tong, says more than ever, the world needs hope and strength right now. He had the option to cancel it, but they chose not to. They did move that April 10th card from China to Indonesia. That's the one where Demetrius Johnson will challenge the current one flyweight champ, Adriano Marais. So, yeah, hopefully, obviously, everyone comes out of that. Well, just a little bit of a weird bit of news. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Pause for the cause. Word from our friends and sponsors and be back after it with your boys, BC and Rashad. Dig it. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. 
So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, BC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. It's the State of Combat Podcast, MMA style. Lots more to come as we look ahead to this weekend. But Rashad, closing out uh, the week that was in news in our sport of MMA. Round four here. I want to hit you up with this. Israel Adesanya's coach is saying, you know, should they defeat UL Romero in the title defense March 7th, UFC 248, they might skip the whole talk of this super fight with John Jones and go straight for heavyweight champion Stipe Miocic. Uh, is this business? Is this public negotiation? Is this having huevos uh, that are too large? What is this? This is mind games for John Jones. That's what this is. This is only just to poke the bear. This is just to get John Jones to say, you know what? We don't even need you. We, we're, we're to the point where we're going to stop even talking about you. We're just going to talk about doing what you said you're going to do. You know, and and see how much interest we get in it. But it's, it, at the end of the day, you know, Israel is still growing in so many different ways, and he's going to learn a lot off this Joel fight that he's going to have uh, in, in the next in the next few months, next month. So um, there's there's still a lot to be to be to be said of what what trajectory he goes. You know, I think the world of him, and I think that he's you know the the best middleweight we've seen in a long long time. So um, I think he has tons of potential. But there's still a lot, you know, still we need to learn about him still. So going against a guy. Against, oh, wrong button. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> going against a guy like Stipe, I just don't I just don't see uh, that being a realistic thing. I think that's more like a jab to John Jones. Interesting. And like we like you mentioned, we, we got to get through you well first. And that fight, Rashad, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I swear, and even with Tony Habib coming up, which on paper I think across boxing or MMA is probably the best critical fight you can make, like style-wise, like meaning, you know, maybe not pay-per-view sales, but Habib and Tony is like the best fight you can make, but Yoel and Israel is like, I might want to see it a little bit more. Like, it's just going to be, oh, God, that's going to be fire, you know? I know, and it almost didn't happen just because of Yoel's uh, controversial loss, but, you know, big ups for Israel, who who is one that wants all the smoke with all the tough guys. And that's why he's going to be remembered. You know, when, when you go out there and you challenge yourself against guys where people don't want, you know, there's legends about Yoel Romero and how hard his bones is and people talking about they hit him and he's not human. And these are guys <laughs> that I respect tremendously. And they're like, yo, there's something different about Joel. 
Maybe and, he's part uh, reptilian. I believe him. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's superhuman. Maybe there's something going on there. But uh, you said Adesanya wants the smoke. Uh, he wants. I think he might want the toad too, Rashad. He wants it all. He wants everything <laughs> that's available to him. Middleweights. I'm the new dog in the yard. And I just all over this cage. Wow, wow, yeah, wow. All right, indeed, right there. Uh, speaking of people uh, having balls here and being bold, Henry Cejudo, who we know appears to be uh, in line to face Jose Aldo to defend his Bantamweight title. We know he vacated his flyweight title. We're going to see in a couple weeks uh, Joseph Benavidez and uh, Davison Figueredo for that vacant belt. Cejudo, the Bantamweight king, if he gets by Jose Aldo, says... I want Alexander Volkanovsky next at one, four, five. Uh, Rashad, this is wild. He's already a champ champ, and you could certainly argue whether or not he sort of deserved that opportunity to begin with, but he took it, he ran, he knocked out TJ Dillashaw. Could you see him title competitive at 145 against against the very best against Alexander Volkanovsky? I mean, Triple C has impressed me with so much of his growth in the MMA game, so it's hard to say that he... Like to say he couldn't do something, but at the same time, let's just be honest here. I mean, you know, Wokanovsky at 145 is just a different animal. I mean, this guy used to be my size and heavier. You know, he used to be a, a big guy, so he has a different kind of power than little Henry is used to seeing. So I, I wouldn't like that fight for Henry. But I mean, take that fight out of the equation. Let's just look at. What's in a 135 weight class? You know, you, you have, you know, Petr Jan. You have, you know, the return of uh, Dillashaw coming back. You know, Dominic, Dominic Cruz. You know, Aljo. There, so many, Aldo. I mean, there, I mean, uh, Aljo, Aljo. Like, yeah, there's so many tough guys. It's like Corey Sanhagen. Uh, oh my God! Come on, like, like the fact that he's even Sam Volkanovski, it just makes you. It's, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's him just playing with his division just letting them know that you know what i'm going to do what i want to do and that and that's just a mental warfare that he's putting on these guys he's a tyrant he is a tyrant he's a mental tyrant for the guys at 135 <laughs> and you will skip to my loop that's basically what he's saying to everybody i'll, I'll you know you got to give triple c's uh i mean he's the cringe master so you gotta take that away from him but you got to give him the boldness <laughs> the confidence Olympic gold medalist, all that. He's made such a great growth in a short period of time in MMA. Um, I love the bold. Look, eventually somebody's going to get the first chance to become a three division champion. I always thought it would be Connor at welterweight, right? He's you know he's the marketing machine, but you know you wonder. I mean, Cejudo's small. He's he's arguably a small flyweight in terms of height, right? I mean, obviously he's thick, but uh, I don't know. If you told me he's going in there against a Max Holloway, a Brian Ortega, I don't know. Is a B? I mean, there's some. Big featherweights, maybe because Volkanovski is a little bit shorter. He has a little bit more confidence there. I don't know. I don't know, Rashad. I think it's because Triple C got himself a girl now, and now he's feeling himself in a way he never felt himself before. So now he's got himself a girl. He don't even care. He's, he want to fight everybody. I won't be surprised if he challenged John Jones. <laughs> about about time somebody got on that for C Triple C there. All right, Rashad, let's play a little game of fill-in-the-blank here. I have some fun topics before we look ahead at the weekend that's coming. Uh, Habib in the news, Nurmagomedov, your lightweight champion, his manager saying, they've said this before, they reiterated, the only time, the only way they're going to fight Conor McGregor is if it happens in the street. So I want to ask you this, with all the talk of Habib Conor 2 later this year, and that seems to be Dana White and UFC's plan, by by pushing Jorge into a welterweight title shot. What's the percentage right now 
that you would give one Tony Harris, Tony Ferguson, of ruining the chances that we see Habib Connor too, whether in the cage or in the streets later this year? Oh man, I, I would say I would say it, it's a pretty big chance that um, I mean you know Tony Tony Ferguson can definitely put a halt to this, but I even even if this fight, even if Habib wins this fight. I just find it really hard to see Connor and and Habib fighting again, just with everything they're gonna have to cross. I mean, there's a lot that was said, and there's a lot that Habib uh, just does not want to relive. You know, he's in a position where, um, you know, money's not the most important thing to him, and, and and he's you know so already financially blessed beyond anything he can ever imagine or would have imagined. So. I don't see money being the, the catalyst to bring them together. I think it would be a street fight, them running into each other at an event and both of their crews getting into it. That's what I foresee the next time they encounter. That's dangerous. <laughs> that ain't good. That is dangerous right there because those crews, uh, they ain't fooling around. They're, they're, uh, they, they, bring, they, bring it, they bring it. They bring the heat. <laughs> this is not for sport, Daniel-san. These guys are, are, uh, are, are thinking about different things right there. It's just funny, man. I, I'm the biggest victim of just forgetting to mention, uh, hey, by the way, Tony Ferguson is the only guy, I believe, who can beat Habib, you know, maybe outside of a Conor uh, one-punch situation. And, uh, yeah, his chances are almost raising in my mind because people are so criminally overrating it. It's like... I'm not saying that's a 50-50 fight, but that's as close as you can make a 50-50 fight against Habib, pretty much. I, I would say so, too. And is there's something about this matchup, too, that brings a little extra mysticism in it to me because, you know, this fight has been scheduled to happen at least seven times and has never happened. There's something to that. You know what I'm saying? There, there's something to the fact that it has just never happened. And there's something to Tony Ferguson uh, that that's intriguing. And there's something to him that makes you feel that he's either going to die in that cage or or, or that's the only way he's going to lose because his mindset. And, and when you're following Tony and you see just the way his mind clicks, you're thinking like this guy is going to give everything. He's going to do everything to try to win this fight. I mean, look, you, you can get yourself excited about Tony Habib from the standpoint of, uh, you know, what it does for the division. Does Tony have the only style that can beat Habib, all that? But you want to just get excited for the potential <laughs> violence and drama and, like, ebbs and flows of momentum? I mean, you could imagine Tony taking hella punishment and completely turning that fight around. And, and I mean, look. Habib's gas tank is going to get tested like never before. Yeah. This is going to be wild. And like you said, uh, there's a sadistic element of Tony that is uh, he's he's going to pour out the jug. He's going to give you every inch. And look, he just turned 30, 36, like four, four days ago, Rashad. So I say that from the standpoint that this is a long time coming and that window is closing. You're going to get the, the all the crazy, all the smoke from from Tony think, right there. I think this fight is going to be particularly interesting because of the fact that Tony is so offensive off of his back and Habib is so good in that controlling position. But when you're trying to control a guy who's really squirming on his back, who moves on the back, you, the guy holding on top is the one who get tired. And that's what I faced when I went against uh, Michael Bisbing. He moved around. So I got exhausted. So it, it can bring an interesting wrinkle to see what happens in that exchange. And that's why that's where that 50 50 for me comes in. Uh, fill in the blank number two, the great Mighty Mouse Demetrius Johnson has said publicly 
that if he, he he does not plan on ever coming back to the UFC, he will retire with his one championship saying, quote, this is my last organization. Now, just to recap quickly, Rashad, when he set that UFC title defense record, we rightfully so sort of elevated him in that conversation of greatest of all time. That short little, uh, you know, that table of like John Jones, DC, GSP, Anderson Silva, uh, maybe Fedor, maybe you like one or two other guys that could get a C, but it's a very small fraternity. If he were to end his career after one with one more UFC fight, what's the one matchup that could do the most for his legacy in your eyes? Mm. The one matchup that could do the most, if it was a stay, oh man. You know, if he Ben Askren does, I think, came- it, I think, yeah, I think it would have to be him against the Triple C. I think it would have to be that, you know, because of the fact that what Henry's went on had to go on and do. You know, I think that when Henry beat Demetrius Johnson, he was just a fighter who beat Demetrius Johnson, and it was a very controversial. And people said it went the other way, but what he went on to do by beating uh, Marlon Marais the way that he beat him it kind of solidified that win and it kind of made us interested to see what more that Henry can do. And it kind of made it as if like, it's hard to forget Demetrius Johnson, but it almost made his departing a little bit easier. The fact that we had somebody else exciting to watch. So I think that if he's to come back and get the respect that, that he deserves, I think he would have to beat the man in Henry Cejudo. And here's the thing. It's like, you know, um, Demetrius is one of those guys who, you know, sit at the head of the, the the Mountain Rushmore of great MMA fighters, right? When you look on that wall and you see all these guys who remember forever, he's there, but he's not not one who gets the respect like he should get. You know, he'll never be remembered in my in my point in, in my um opinion as he truly was as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, mixed martial artists of all time because he didn't get, you know. For whatever reason, the stars never lined. He never had that matchup that got you to see how great he is. Indeed, indeed. And uh, look, if he went back against Cejudo, did a trilogy bout, let's say they did it for the UFC Bantamweight title, and you were able to add that next level wrinkle to Johnson's career. Imagine if he won that. Imagine if he walked away the two-division champion. He he left for a while and was one champion. I mean, that's the type of thing that keeps him in that conversation. I'm not saying it's fair that because he lost to Cejudo in a fight that I didn't even think he lost to begin with, by the way. He also was injured during that and never got the chance at a rematch. Just because he went to one shouldn't remove him from that conversation, but you know how things go. It sort of does remove him to the eyes of some people just out of sort of uh, either disrespect or forgetting. Um, You know, Cejudo's the best answer. I also wouldn't ever mind and never would have a rematch with Dominic Cruz. Remember he lost the uh, their UFC Bantamweight title bout. I just always wanted Demetrius at the end of that run to move back up to Bantamweight and say, okay, I'm the greatest flyweight of all time. I'm the reason they started that division, but I'm going to go back and run back my losses at Bantamweight and, and prove that I, that my greatness knows no bounds of any weight. Not saying he has to go back and beat Brad Pickett and run back that WEC loss he had, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, certainly he can walk away. He's 33 now. He can walk away whenever he wants, but almost in like a Ben Askren getting that one UFC stop on the on the you know on the way out. Although he ended up getting three fights, I sort of love that idea of Johnson when he's done with one, saying, "Let me come back for one more, the biggest fight I can make." We'll see if that happens, Rashad. Totally up to him. Uh, fill in the blank number three: Tuito Ortiz, uh, apparently training with WWE at their performance center in Orlando. 
he had a cup of coffee with TNA Wrestling about 10 years ago, and no one seemed to care. Your care level for Tito Ortiz joining WWE is blank. I think I, I, I like it. I like it. And here's why. I think this is where Tito should have been a long time ago. I feel like he's he's got that wrestling persona. And I think that it's kind of like a natural progression of that that bad boy Tito Ortiz kind of style. I mean, he's he's still he's like even even the fight that he had at the one that you said it was work. <laughs> See, I'll put that on you. <laughs> no, even though he, the, the fight that he just had, you know, it, it was it was on, it was kind of it kind of had that WWE kind of feel to it, you know. So I think that I think this is this is where he needs to go. I mean, he, he's he's obviously a guy who's finding you know better health the older he gets. His back is is better now, and he wants to compete still. And I and I applaud that. And I understand that, but at the same time he may not he's not ready to be fighting you know he can't be fighting like that like guys who are still after it so this is the perfect place for him where he can go out and still talk all the trash and still do what he likes to do and get paid handsomely for it i mean it's certainly not a bad idea i just feel like it's like five and or ten years too late and it's not that no one knows who tito ortiz is anymore i i fear rashad that it's that people know too much of who he is that there's been an overexposure of him you know through this bellator run and constantly coming back and and doing the somewhat weird interviews and i know he's always got a got he's always got that pro wrestling mystique and he's certainly got a great body still he's in great shape and all that but i don't know that people care anymore i mean look kane velasquez is in wwe right now he only had that one match with lesnar i, I don't think people care about that even um it's interesting it'd be interesting to what they'd run i mean can you do Brock against Tito Ortiz. I guess you could. I guess maybe you'd get some 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 care level out of that, but uh, it's wild. It's wild. I think that he'd be able to to, to strike something over there. I, I guess you know spark some interest in some of those fans that he may be gaining over there because they don't know him. They they just know that he's an MMA guy. You know they may not know everything that we know as hardcore MMA fans. You know, so they may not be so turned off by him. They may just seem like, wow, this guy's big. He's intriguing. He's you know. He, he actually's done. He actually's done the work. You know, he's been, you know, the 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 bad boy that that's carried the UFC for so long and was legit. You know, Tito Ortiz is probably one of the strongest fighters I ever fought in my life. So he's he, he's definitely legit. So I think that with this whole move with Tito, I think it all depends on what is the storyline surrounding his entrance in the in the WWE. I agree with that. Uh, he's also a, a big doing the big time MAGA thing right now, so I wonder if they can use that in there. You know, Vince McMahon's going to love him some of that. Uh, you know, joining up with uh, WWE Hall of Famer Donald Trump, indeed. All right, fill in the blank here, Rashad. You've gone to the scorecards in UFC and either won or came away with a draw nine separate times. The one decision that you were most surprised when the judges' scores were announced that you won was blank. Hmm. Let me think. I, I don't think who my decisions were. Let me think. Ah, oh, man. Who, who, could you name off for me a little bit? Yeah, here you go. You got a split decision win over Brad Imes, a split okay. over Sam Hoger, majority over Bonner, split over Bizping, a draw with Tito, unanimous over Rampage, Tiago Silva, Phil Davis, and then a split with Dan Henderson. Which one of those, uh, if you're being honest, where you're like, I don't know, I'm not really sure here. I think it was the Bisping one. I was kind of uncertain about just because the fact that um, he he was able like that second round, 
was tough, and I didn't know how they scored that one. And then the third round was really tough too. I felt like I, if I didn't, it depends on how he would have scored that last takedown because I got one takedown at the end, but I didn't know if he was winning the the round in their eyes before that. So I'll probably say that the Bisbing one. That was UFC seventy eight, November two thousand seven. Rashad, Newark, New Jersey. Big yeah. night, big night for Rashad Evans. That's a big win. That's a great ass win on your resume right there. Yeah, it was. It was, man. That that was a tough one. That was a that was a surprisingly tough one because Michael Bisbing was, he was, he was one of those guys you watch on film and you're just not really impressed by anything that he does and you're just like, oh yeah, I can get him here, I can get him here. But then when you get in there in a fight, it's just it was just a different story. You know, he was he was tougher in areas where I, where I didn't expect and uh, it threw me off like the whole fight. And it's hard to be like when you're in a fight. And you're making adjustments and you're just like kicking yourself in the butt because you didn't prepare properly. Oh, it's the worst place to be. <laughs> That's the fight that got you the Chuck Liddell fight basically uh, 11 months later. Uh, that was your your next fight on the progression. Um, At that point when you fought Chuck, a little story time with, with Rashad interlude right here. At the point that you fought Chuck, yeah, he'd been stopped by Rampage and lost to Keith Jardine. But he had that comeback win against Vanderlei that was fight of the year. It was fun. Did you know that there was a vulnerability in Chuck right there? Because I, th- I think the perception was that he's still hella dangerous. How, what was that sort of breakdown inside of you on a confidence level that I can get to this guy's chin, he might be on the, on the other side of the hill, or no, this is still the Iceman? Um, it was, we didn't have the thought that you know, he might be weak and vulnerable on his chin. I just thought that maybe I may be able to outwork him because that's what Keith Jardine did. Keith Jardine outworked him. And he was able to get the win that way. So I thought for anything, I'll be able to get him to take some big punches on me, big big swings, and hopefully miss, but then get him down and get him into an ugly, grinding-style fight, which I was known for at the time, which was my kind of fight. Um, that's what I wanted to get him into, and that's what I really uh, thought was going to happen. But when we got into the cage, he just seemed so dangerous to try to take down. <laughs> I just ended up moving around on the outside. <laughs> That that punch still one of the scariest uh, in terms of watching it on TV. It was like, oh no, like shotgun bang! Wow, wow. I'm sure you felt that too. Oh, it, it, that 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 punch is just I can still uh, I can still feel that punch, you know. And it was and at the time I didn't really feel it at all. I just swing the punch and it was just it was like a good swing and I felt like it was a good swing, but I didn't really know that I hit him that clean until I seen him falling. And then my coach and I heard my coaches go crazy. That may have been the most valuable punch you ever landed. I know you won the title, the fight after that by stopping Forrest, but that I mean that punch made you a star, Rashad. There was that the turning point in your career, like like the the moment everything changed, or was it earlier and tough? Nah, that was the moment everything changed. That was the moment where everyone started to see see me differently. I even started to see myself differently. You know, I thought that, um, you know, I didn't really know I had that kind of power in me. You know, it was uh, it was pretty. It was pretty shocking, and I was like, okay, I, I got this. I, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Rashad Evans. Yeah, yeah, brother. All right, let me close with this on the fill-in-the-blank. You had the Joe Rogan experience. It blew up. It was funny. It was deep. It was emotional. The most famous person to reach out to you since that interview went live was blank. Ooh. Um, uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I talked to Mike. Me and Mike talked. Ever since that interview, you're talking about Mike Tyson here, Michael Jordan. Where are we going with this? Sorry, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson. Me and Mike Tyson, we talked since the interview. 
And, uh, you know, we're, we're just sharing some ideas. And, and, you know, Mike is a very, very deep thinker like like myself. So, uh, you know, he was a. Uh, he he was uh he, he was digging it you know he definitely dug it. I mean that's pretty famous. That's a pretty big name, Rashad. That's no joke right there. Yeah, I mean it's it, I've been getting a lot of traction from it. You know, a lot of people um just uh you know opening people's eyes on, on just you know the medicine and what it can do for people and in, in their uh, their mindset. Indeed, indeed. I mean, you talk about things like PTSD that are like uh, it's no joke. You know, what I mean, like it, it, it stuff like that. It, tra- overcoming trauma. Yeah. Developing more medicinal avenues to that is is interesting. And then, you know, the, adding on how you sort of found yourself through that process. I don't think how you can watch that and not be sort of moved. Yeah. And as a fighter, you know, that's something that we don't we don't talk about or verbalize just just about what you go through on a mental mental level when when you lose a fight and you're really trying to recreate yourself to get back in there to do it again. Because, you know, you go out there and you get your butt kicked, but it, it's a it's it's some time before you're able to go out there and mentally feel you can do it again. And then even to, you know, not have the fear that what happened to you before is going to happen again. You know, you see it now. Um, you know, I was watching Diego's Instagram and he's just so uh, so into what happened this past weekend. Every post is justifying, you know, his choice to not fight. And we're seeing that on the outside. Imagine what he's mentally going through. How is he going to reset himself on self, self, reset himself to go forward in any kind of capacity? You know, and and that's where that's where the trauma comes in, and that's where all right, what are we going to do to help? You know, what is he going to do to get himself beyond this? Did you ever end up, did you ever have deep? Are you close with my man Moro Ronaldo, the great bipolar rock and roller? Ah uh, no no I'm not. I, a, I talked to him a couple bit, but I, I, a bit, but I never really was too. That's close a deep dude as well. He's been through a lot, obviously mentally, and his documentary on Showtime a couple years back was 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 amazing. It was very you know eye opening. But that is a deep guy as well. Uh, Rashad, let's get into this weekend quickly here. We got two Bellator cards. I want to kind of catch your care level from that. We start Friday night. Thackerville, look, it's not a Bellator card unless we're going from the Windstar World Casino in Thackerville, Oklahoma. And it's Ed Ruth in this main event against Yaroslav Amosov. Welterweights, uh, you know the gist here, Rashad. Ed Ruth, amazing wrestler at Penn State. Has started his M- career, MMA career throwing hands. Your boy Jason Jackson almost got the best of him because of that last October. Is it time now for Ed Ruth, whose only loss came against Neiman Gracie in that Grand Prix tournament, to, to go back home? Go back to the basics here. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think so. I think once you start to get so far away from your base, then your base stops being your base, and then you and then you become just like everyone else, you know, with the ability to wrestle, but not with the ability to take over a fight with that wrestling. And you know, I think that with with that Ruth, he needs to start getting back into it because being an MMA wrestler is totally different than just being a wrestling a collegiate wrestler. You know, there's a whole um, process that goes into it with just the transition from the punching mm-hmm. to the takedown. So getting back into that can aid in his striking as well, too. As long as he's able to mix in some good, legitimate takedowns, then that automatically lends a, 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 a level of credence to a striking that he did not have before he started mixing his wrestling. So I think if he wants to aid his striking again, then he needs to go back to his wrestling. Yeah, I like that they're giving him a main event opportunity. The card is certainly not high profile. Will be streamed on Paramount Net on DAZN and and simulcast on the Paramount Network. But uh, 
Ed Ruth could be somebody long-term. Great athlete, seems to be mentally tough. Uh, Want to see him evolve. Miles Jury in this co-main event against Brandon Gertz. I don't know if that fight moves you at all, lightweight, Rashad. Nah, that that fight. You know, I, I'm a Miles Jury fan, and and I, and I like what Miles does. I'm just trying to interested to see what he's uh, how he is in, in Bellator. Yeah, he's fresh know? off that loss to Benson Henderson in his debut, but certainly a name from the yeah. UFC worth watching. The next night they go to Dublin, Bellator but, Dublin. Uh, Bell- before we go to Dublin. I want to talk about Tyrell Fortune. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, he, there's another guy with a good amateur wrestling. Tyrell guy. Fortune, this guy right here, heavyweight, and this guy is a wrestler, but he came he came and trained with me when I was training for DC because he's a lot like DC in every single way. But um, this guy is somebody to watch. You know, he's he's got really good wrestling and he's got some hands behind it, but he's got that body, that body, the body structure like DC, but um, but a little bit more muscular, a little bit more muscular, but that kind of like the barrel chest style. And, and, and he has that um, that ability like DC sometimes too, you see. So Tyrell Fortune is a guy to watch, and I think that he definitely could hold the belt in Bellator. Wow, he's 8-0 at this point. This is sort of a step up to a degree here against a tough out at least, a tough guy in in, uh, Timothy Johnson. So uh, we'll see what happens on that. That next night, like we mentioned, they go to Bellator Dublin. It's one of those things where they're calling the undercard Bellator 240, and then the three-bout, I guess, main card is called, called Bellator Dublin. Uh, I don't get it. Anyway, the, the main event of this Bellator 240 card is lightweight Brent Primus, the former champion from that upset of Michael Chandler, which was a weird fight with the injury, is going to go in there against Chris Bungard. And then you got uh, the Bellator Dublin main fight card, which is loaded with Irishmen. You got Charlie Ward, Conor McGregor's teammate there. Uh, I don't have much to say about that card, Rashad, okay? Shout out to Beck Rawlings finding a home on there, though. All right? That's the deal. It is what it is. Uh, We do care this weekend about this UFC Auckland card coming up on Saturday. And man, you talk about a great fight in that main event. Lightweight division is the deepest, most loaded division going on in MMA today inside the UFC, inside anywhere, really. And you got Paul Felder having won five of his last six, fresh off split decision win over Edson Barbosa. The only man to defeat Dan Hooker in his last seven fights. Wow, Rashad. This is going to be fireworks here in Auckland, not far from Dan Hooker's home. Paul Felder being used as the A-side in the, in the fight poster. But who's got the edge here as we enter into this? Man, this is a tough one to call who has the edge just because, you know, Dan Hooker is really, really taking it personal. It all started from that stare down. You know, Dan Hooker got into Paul Felder's face at that meet and greet i guess when getting the fans into it but um hooker wanted to let him know that he's coming there and he's coming for his head and uh paul felter was like okay you want to play tough guy with me then we're going to play tough guy and they've been kind of having a banter back and forth on social media you know uh dan paul felder talking about hooker's last name and and everything else (laughs) like that so you, you have that that gen that genuine bad blood between these two guys and they both know the importance of this fight and where they want to be in the division. So I think this fight is going to be an amazing fight. I think that um, it, it's going to be one of those back and forth battles because Paul Felder is coming in here with a lot to prove. You know, he he's been begging for this shot to be in the in in the main event and to have a chance to show that he's on this level and he's of this elk. So. 
is going to be interesting to see. And then you have Dan Hooker, who's fighting at home. And, you know, New Zealand, this is probably, this is the first UFC there. So they have, you know, um, CKB, City Kickboxing, has like seven guys on their card. So it's been a, it's a big coming out party for his whole gym, Dan Hooker's whole gym. So it's going to be an exciting time. And I'm actually going, so I can't wait. Oh, you're going to be on the uh, ESPN broadcast? Yeah, I'll be on the ESPN broadcast. Excellent. We'll check you out for sure on ESPN Plus this weekend. Uh, here's what's great about this fight. Not only a matchup between two tough guys, and we know Paul Felder's going to, like we always say, empty the jug. He's going to give you everything he has. Uh, this is really for entry into that super, you know, upper elite top five group. This is always going to be a logjam division. We got Habib Tony next. We got Connor lingering. You certainly have, uh, you know, guys that that had lost Dustin Poirier coming back in that window. You've got other guys like Kevin Lee who are trying to get in there. The winner of this is probably still another fight away from that stamp of he's ready for a title shot. But this is a make or break fight from that regard. And I look at Hooker as the better fighter, Rashad. But he did have that baptism fight against Edson Barbosa, you know, like in which he put everything he had and it wasn't enough. And he took a hell of a beating and he's bounced back great from that. I feel like Paul Felder is the perfect test to tell us if Dan Hooker is really who he who who he's teasing us to be. The recent wins over Ally Quinta and um, and uh, who did he beat before that? Uh, I got it right in front of me. Th- these are these are the type of wins that that tell you the the class of who he is. But yeah. now he's got to, sorry, James Vick was the other one. Now he's got to get past a guy who's going to be there every second, going to be super tough. I like Hooker. I'm going to favor him. I think he has better plus ceiling for talent. But at every stop, Rashad, I try to paint Paul Felder as almost this elite gatekeeper. And, and he keeps showing me he's got another gear. Yeah, that's the thing about Paul. I think that he's still finding himself inside the game, the, the game and he's still growing as well, too. Um, I, I think that with this fight, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be whoever wins this fight is going to be in a position to say they deserve a title fight. But I think that, like you said, it's going to be a couple fights before any of these guys, I think, are ready, ready. You know, with Dan Hooker, he, he has such an interesting style. But um, like you said, just he needs that fight to say this is not nah, I'm ready. I'm ready. And Paul Felder is that dude. Paul Felder is in my opinion, one of those guys who is a lot better than we see than we see out there. Like he he's he's got another gear and I think that he still is not showing us how good he can be yet. Indeed on that. It's gonna be a hell of a matchup. Can't wait for it. Some interesting names on the undercard. Zubaira Tukagov is back. Uh you know Luma Luke Boonmi, the Thai fighter, the female fighter? She's back on this card. She made her debut as the first uh Thai fighter in the UFC and and looked fantastic with that style. Uh I'm also kind of cheering for Karolina Kolvakevich. Former title challenger, of course, at Women's Strawway, but Rashad has lost five of seven since that UFC 205 loss to Ioana, in which she put Ioana in the hospital. It was five rounds of hell. Really has been unable to put it together with any kind of consistency. She's going to be in there against a Chinese fighter who I will not attempt to pronounce her name, but I will tell you this. This would be four losses in a row should Carolina come up empty at 34. It's It could be a crossroads moment for a fighter I've really enjoyed watching. And that's a tough position to be in, you know, on that bubble. You you lost three in, in a row and you're trying to find that's where you start competing against yourself, you know, and that's where it's like you have to almost remind yourself that 
this is my first fight and what happens after this fight, it doesn't matter because when you start thinking about all the past fights and the fact that you're in this position, then you go out there and you fight even more defensive and you go out there and, and you may not be, you're fighting against yourself. And, um, that's one thing I hope she doesn't do. You know, it, it's, it's a very tough position to be in, but I hope she just finds a way to mentally get herself off that bubble. Like we see, you know, when remember Chris Wyman was in that position and mm -hmm. he found a way to get off that bubble, it's a mentally tough position to be in. He's back on that bubble again, unfortunately. Chris Wyman saying, I'm going to fight on. I'm going to fight on at middleweight. Lightweight didn't go, light heavyweight didn't go my way. I'm going to fight on at middleweight. We wish him well, of course. Uh, that's your card, Rashad. Have you been to Auckland before? Are you, do, do they love them, some sugar Rashad there? It's, it's my first time, so I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm doing a um, seminar with, um, with Dan with Dan, uh, the, the announcer, and uh, we're gonna, it's gonna be a good time, man. We're gonna go and just enjoy it, see the, see the sights. Uh, it, it's summer over there, right? It's pretty yes. warm over there right now. And, yeah. And, so. I, and then you know, you always hear that's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. So hopefully, you get to see a little bit while you're over there. Uh, hopefully, you get to see some Wilder Fury two action while you're over there, Rashad. Oh my gosh, I know. I hope so. I'm, I'm gonna stay up because it comes on. Yeah, they come on what? What day to come on? Because it's coming on. I'm never sure how that works in the in the down under area. Is that like the day after? I don't really know, Rashad. It's gonna be overnight. It's, I don't know. I think it's like Sunday morning may come on or something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, I wanted to hit up on that one more time. Wilder Fury two this weekend. What do you think is the key to victory, Rashad? Uh, in 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 who you're gonna end up taking here, and does that tie into what has been the biggest storyline? The fact that Fury's got a new trainer, and he says, "I'm not letting the judges screw me. I'm gonna walk down and try to finish Wilder." I mean, this is wild. This is crazy, Rashad. But is it any crazier than trying to get a 12-round decision against a guy with, with murderous punching power? I cannot wait to see how this plays out. I know. It's interesting. You know, I think that, um, I think that you know, Fury is, is going to go in there and utilize his movement a little bit more and just be, uh, you know, stick and move. I think he's going to try to, you know, do a little bit more sticking and moving and not and not being there for Deontay to, to return uh, a punch. But with, with Deontay, Deontay just go, has to go in there and press forward. You know, he can't, he can't be on the outside. He can't be at that boxing range. He almost has to be at that range where it forces Tyson Fury to, to be a little bit closer, where he's going to have to throw some punches, where in that way um, uh, Deontay Wilder is going to be able to counter and be still close in range. But... I think if Deontay allows uh, Fury to start getting that jab going and start, you know, moving and shaking, then I think it could be a long night and a frustrating night for for uh, Deontay. I think the key for Deontay is just to stay stay composed and not get frustrated. Definitely. And I, and I think and I think just being able to not, um, it, it's almost as if like Deontay is going to have to. Uh, not take it so personal, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and he's already, he's already, you know, talking and, and they're talking the game and everything like that. But then he's going to have to divorce himself from those emotions. So then that way, when he's inside the fight, he's not going to get frustrated by, you know, Fury being able to stick and move and, and land those clean shots on him. I mean, he did such a great job of doing exactly that against Luis Ortiz in the rematch just a few months back. Was down heavy on the scorecards, never wavered, stuck with the game plan, tried to set up that right hand, and then we saw that short right cross to the forehead, and it was over. Um, 
I think while they're, I'm sorry, I think Fury is going to have to be more offensive so we can convince the judges. I don't know if I fully believe he's going to do guns out, like he's saying, second round knockout. I think that's a little bit more of a ploy. But I wonder if he's going to try to be more offensive on the inside. Because Rashad, you know, Wilder is so raw that he doesn't have some of those sophisticated combos or uppercuts in close. And we've never seen him really have to fight off the back foot backing up. And while he always has that right-hander to get him out of any problem, what if Fury starts leaning on him? He's saying that he's going to come in at 270, which is 14 pounds heavier than the first time. If he's got like a 50-pound weight advantage, I wonder if he's going to try to yuck it up a little bit. I think I think the the thing with Fury, his most important thing is his movement, and I think that if he's able to utilize his movement the way I've seen by with some fakes and feints, being able to shake and show a lot of motion to draw out that reaction in Deontay Wilder, then that takes power off of that shot. Every single time that Deontay Wilder has to go with a punch that wasn't really thrown, then he loses more steam when he wants to really throw a punch with intent, and I think that's the key for Fury to draw out that reaction to get Deontay Wilder not knowing when that perfect counter shot is. So then that way when he does throw that counter shot, it doesn't have that that raw, just crazy power that we see him hit with. <laughs> I've predicted on the State of Combat Boxing Pod that Fury will, will, will pull it off. He'll find a way. This guy just seems to have almost that some of that Connor magic from the idea that he has so many intangibles. He finds a way to win and survive. He's going to have to be more offensive, going to have to take more chances, I think. Who do you like, Rashad? What's the safest bet here? Well, who's going to win Wilder Fury 2? I like, I like Fury a lot, but I just think that when it comes to that power, Deontay Wilder just has a way of landing it because it's not like he's even trying. It's almost as if it's accidental sometimes, you know? It's almost like it was just an accident where he just, like, threw it, you know? It, and, and that right there, it it makes me believe that he's going to be able to catch Fury with something because at some point, he's going to be able to land a punch. And the way he hits, it's lights out. So I got, I got Wilder. I think he's going to be able to catch him a little bit early. And, and I think that it may be off of off of the fact that maybe Fury may be trying to do a little bit too much. And uh, if you if you think that this fight isn't crazy enough, there's a very good potential we see a third one because the loser has the option for a rematch in the contract. It would be a 60-40 split to the winner uh, financially going into the third fight. But look, it's Fox. Oh, and with, that, wait, if that, with that said, then I hope that Fury wins. <laughs> I want to see third <laughs> well, here's the deal. I mean, ESPN and Fox spent a lot of money. They joined up. There's going to be a two-network pay-per-view. I kind of get the feeling they they uh, they want to keep Anthony Joshua on that other side of the street and keep their two guys occupied one more time. Um, this is going to be one of the better fights on paper, I think, that boxing has seen in a long time. I think it's going to play out so well, so entertainingly, whichever direction it goes. Can't wait. I uh, want to close on this, Rashad, quick. Uh, you know, you can always get in trouble ripping the boss. We don't want to do that. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. Did End you, of story. Okay, you know? good. we got it, Dana. Did you see that episode of Dana White looking for a fight where they went to Hawaii and they went cliff diving and Rachel Ostevis jump, is jumping off, Dean Thomas is jumping off, Matt Sarah's jumping off, all these kids are jumping off, and Dana stood there frozen for almost an hour yeah. until the sun <laughs> went down, the cameras ran out of batteries, and he was just like, I can't do this. My body won't let me. 
Rashad, did he punk himself? I mean, like, look, I'm not saying I would have done it, but this is Dana White. He's, he's crazy. He's wild. He's the head of the UFC. He couldn't do it. Nah, you know what? It's probably hunting him too. Like Dana's that kind of guy where something like that will stay in his mind. Like, man, I, I need, I need to do it. But I, I don't blame him, man. I mean, it, it's it, like when you're there, it's it, it's one thing. But seen on TV, it looks it looks pretty easy. But when you're there and you see that water going in, and then they tell you the rules, you got to get it at this perfect jump, and then you got to be like, wait a minute, it's not just me just jumping into the water. And, you know, it, 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 it adds another element to it when you have to get the perfect time in and, you know, they, they give you the rules of it. And you're like, man, I don't know if I have enough energy because then you get you jump in the water and then you still got to like swim and maintain your, your buoyancy when the waves are crashing and get out of the way for the next person jumping. It's scary. It's scary. No doubt. It's this scary. was a guy who went but, through a full training camp to box with Tito Ortiz, but I guess he's got hundreds of million reasons not to now, Rashad. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Way too much money on mine. There were no lifeguards there. <laughs> you guys want to go back and be a fucking bartender, a uh, short order cook, a fucking scientist. If that's what you really want to be, then go for it. All right. Thank you, Dana. And thank you, State of Combat listeners. Sugar Rashad, enjoy. Auckland this weekend. We'll check out your work on ESPN Plus, my man. Thank you, BC. I appreciate you, my man. Uh, there's only two words left to say, okay? We out. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.